a while back someone left their notebook in church and it seems they'd been taking notes on the sermon in picture form. It's very interesting to see. Well, if that person is here, I don't know who it is, there wasn't a name, or if you want to take notes in picture form, what you need to be doing now is drawing a stall. But at this moment, just draw the top of the stall and label it the Christian life. And then it's got to be a stall that will stand upright and firm. So if you're drawing it, you need to draw three legs for that stall. And you can label the first leg doctrine, believing the truth about God. And then you can label the second leg behaviour, obeying God. Now what are you going to label the third leg? If it's going to stand upright, the stool needs three legs. Doctrine, believing the truth about God. Behaviour, obeying God. What's the third leg going to be? Experience. Experiencing, enjoying God. Okay, I don't know if anyone's drawn that. Be interesting to see it. The Christian life is like a stool, and it needs those three legs if it's going to keep upright. If any of those legs are missing, doctrine, right belief, obedience, right behaviour, experience, enjoying God, if any of those are missing, however good the other two are, you'll fall over in the Christian life. Now those legs are in 1 Timothy 6. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6. There are page numbers on the green sheet, I presume. Yes, there are, if that helps you. 1 Timothy Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. We have in these verses behaviour, obedience, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this, the, the stuff that's in the previous verses, run away from it and pursue, chase after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. That's one leg of the stool obedience, behaviour. The next leg, doctrine, is in verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fighting for the faith. Not for personal subjective faith, do I trust God, but the faith, right beliefs about God, right teaching about God. And then we have experience. Verse 12 again. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Back in December, we heard the first two legs. The run away from the behaviour and the beliefs of the false teachers and run to, and we heard about obedience. And we heard about fighting the good fight of the faith, fighting for the truth. We also heard that these are, as you'll see in verse 11, to Timothy as the man of God which doesn't just mean any Christian who's male, it it means a church leader. But we also heard that they still apply to all children of God. I won't go through the reasons again. So this evening we're just going to get straight into the third leg of the stall, the second half of verse 12. We're going to get straight into this, verse 12, we must take hold of the eternal life to which we were called when we made our good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's what tonight's all about, taking hold of eternal life. But to do that, first we need to know what eternal life is. When my granny was in her late 80s, I remember her saying to me, 
Why would anyone want eternal life? <laughs> life drags on slowly and painfully. She'd got to that stage where it dragged on slowly and painfully. The idea of it dragging on forever, that's dreadful. Why would anyone want eternal life? Well, I'm sad to say it shows a complete misunderstanding of what eternal life is. Because eternal life is both a quantity and a quality of life. It's obviously a quantity. The word eternal means it never ends. That's obviously a quantity. It never ends. I used to, not so long ago, think I had loads of time to do all the things I wanted to do. And I'm already finding out that time is going so quickly and I don't necessarily have the time I thought to do all the things I want to do. And not only does time run out, you find that as time goes on, your ability to do them goes downhill as well. Just a year or two ago, I was out running with an 18-year-old and I got to about a mile away from home and I thought, I'll race him. I thought, I will just sit behind him because he's inexperienced and at the end I'll kick past him and beat him. So I said to him, let's race home. He said, where from? I said, here. He said, okay, boom, off he went. (laughs) And I just pounded after as he disappeared into the distance. Time. For us now, the, the effects of time are not always desirable. It's running out and we're running down. Sorry, if you're over 20, I think it's probably about 25, is it? If you're over 25, you're running down. Eternal life is a quantity. It doesn't run out and it doesn't run down. But eternal life is also a quality of life. A quality. Eternal life is one of the big themes of John's Gospel. That's one of the books to go to if you want to know about eternal life. John's Gospel. His book, he says, he wrote it so we could have eternal life. In his book, Jesus said, I came to give eternal life. But in John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. You see, eternal life is life to the full. It's a quality of life. Then in John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That's interesting. A book that says it's all about Jesus coming so we can have eternal life says it's life to the full and it's life knowing God. In other words, it's restoring life as it was meant to be, restoring the image of God in us. Eternal life is a quantity, no end, no running down, no thinking, oh, it's ticking by, and a quality. And that means eternal life is a Christian's current possession and future hope. If you're in Christ, eternal life is your current possession, you have it now, And it's also your future hope, because there is more and better to come. Now, this is such a repeated theme of the New Testament that I thought we'd look, well, I thought we'll just hear from quite a few verses that say this. And I thought for a change I'll get some other people to read them. So, teenagers know what's coming, and after this you can relax, but still listen. Someone's going to read us 1 John 3, verse 2. Who was that?
Now we are children of God, but what we will be has not been made known. But when he appears, we're going to be made like him. Do you see? Current possession and future hope. Who's got Philippians 1, 21? Esther? There we are, simple, and most of us probably know that, don't we? But if you thought of that, it's current possession. For, to me, to live is Christ. Now, we could easily think of that as just a duty. For, to me, I've got to beat myself to live for Christ. Well, we should live for Christ. It is a duty. It is about obeying. It is about honouring him, but it's also a possession. It's about delighting in him, knowing him, having him, belonging to him, and then to die is gain, because I'm going to go and be with him. Current possession future hope. Who's got Romans 8? Go on, Katie. Thank you. What? what? That's strange. The first verse that Katie read says, we are children of God. The last verse said, creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. You see, we are children of God. We've already got it. But there's something about us that isn't yet revealed. And it's going to be made known what it really means in full to be a son of God. Um, There's one other I've forgotten. That must be you, Daniel. I've forgotten what the reference is. What? Okay, tell us that one. Thank you. Has eternal life. Has, notice. Not will have, not might have. Has eternal life. But I'm going to raise him up. There's more to come. More to come. I'll read you one because I I failed to get someone for this one. Colossians 3. Some of you know Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You have been raised and you will appear. You have become a new person, but who that new person is, is going to be made known. You see, current possession, future hope. That's eternal life. You've got it now, but there's far more to come. Now, remember, this is all about 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, taking hold of eternal life. First, we need to know what it is. It's a quantity and quality. It's our present possession and future hope. It's the life of the age to come that we've already started to taste. Well, next we need to know how to get eternal life. If we're going to take hold of it, we need to know how to get it. How did Timothy get eternal life? Have a look at verse 12. And there is a simple, brief description. But it's a description of everyone who has eternal life. There are things about how Timothy got it. He had a mother and a grandmother who taught him that not everyone has to have. But you have to have what it says in verse 12. And the first thing we read is about an inward and private call of God. God called Timothy. Now, 
Remember this, eternal life is life in relationship with God. John 17, we've already heard, said this is eternal life to know God and his son Jesus Christ. Now, how can we share in the relationship the Trinity has? Louise and I were at Bonbon on Friday and there were some people at a table that we've met one or two times. So we pulled up a chair and said, can we join you? Because you can do that with some people, but you can't do it with everyone. We couldn't do it with some complete strangers there. Or if the Queen turned up to bomb bomb, she doesn't know what she's missing out on, does she? With some people, you can't just pull up a chair and say, can we join in? You need to be invited. Can you pull up a chair and say, can I join in to Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Of course not. You need to be invited. You need to be called. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How does God call us? How does it happen? How does he do it? Well, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14 says, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See that again? That's eternal life, sharing in the glory of the Lord Jesus. And it says he called you by our gospel. How does God call you to eternal life? Well, he has a spokesman who tells us the good news. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he tells us, he who made no sin made him, Jesus, to, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then he makes promises to us. He promises, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He promises, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then he calls you to repent and believe the good news. That's God calling you. Now you might think, why have I called this, and I've put it on the notice sheet, an inward and private call of God's? What I've just described could be very outward and public. It could be a preacher in a church saying these words. But there has got to be an inward and private response. It's got to be an inward and private response. That's why altar calls come up to the front to show that you've responded. Or sinner's prayers say this prayer and you've responded. They have a danger to them. Make it sound like you've walked a few yards or you've said a few words, bingo, that makes you a Christian. There must be an inward and private humbly seeing your need. An inward and private determining, I'm going to turn from sin and rely on Jesus. There must be an actual relying on Jesus, leaning on him, rather like I'm leaning on this pulpit. I'm leaning on this pulpit, I am, I am trusting that it will hold me up. I'm not tensing up and thinking just in case it collapses. There's got to be a leaning on Jesus. I rest myself on him. Have you responded to God's call in that way? Have you actually responded to God's call in that way? And if not, why not now? How about now? Now, another reason I've called this an inward and private call is because when, when we do that, it's because there's an in, been an inward and private call of God on our heart, changing our hearts, so we turn and lean on Jesus. 
Inward and private call, but that's not the only thing in verse 12. What else was there? If you look at verse 12, there was also in Timothy an outward and public confession. God called him when he made his good confession in the presence of many witnesses. When I was at university, we had a mission and an evangelist spoke and then there was a prayer afterwards and it was said, if you want to make this prayer your prayer, raise your hand. Some people go further, as I've said, and say, come to the front. Others, some evangelistic booklets, simply say, well, if you've become a Christian, tell a friend. It seems we want to mark becoming a Christian by some noticeable way of marking it. And that's right and good. That's understandable and proper. But how did they mark it in the New Testament? Not a raised hand. Not a coming to the front. I'm not saying that those are wrong, by the way. But it isn't the way they did it. It's very simple. They got baptised. That's how they marked it. They got baptised. They wouldn't regard you as a Christian if they just heard it said that you're trusting in Jesus. Oh, I've heard on the grapevine that so-and-so is trusting Jesus. Oh, they'd say, well, show it by obeying Jesus and getting baptised. And that, I think, is what verse 12 is describing. That's what we've got there in verse 12. God called Timothy, it's inward and private, but he showed it publicly. He made a good confession. He stated his faith and he showed it clearly in front of witnesses by getting baptised. And if anyone here is trusting Jesus and has responded to God's call but has not yet got baptised, well, you ought to. Jesus clearly says to. So please talk to me about that and let's see if we can do something about it. Well, we've heard what eternal life is. We've heard about how we get eternal life. And this has all been so that we can do verse 12. So that we can, what does verse 12 say? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in front of many witnesses. So let's move on to that now taking hold of eternal life, embracing life. Now, remember this was said to Timothy. He's already been called, he's already already responded, he's already been baptised, it's not telling him to be converted. He's told now, take hold of eternal life. So if you've responded to God's call, if you've been baptised, you are told now to take hold of life. It's not just something you did when you were converted. You're told now, take hold of life. There is a question over what this phrase means. Does it mean embrace and experience eternal life now? Or does it mean persevere to the end so you do get the prize of eternal life to come? Well, actually, those two should not be separated. Actually, the way to persevere and receive the future hope is to now embrace fully the present possession. So I'm going to maintain it's both. And the way we do the persevering is by embracing it now. So now we get to really the aim of the whole sermon. This is where we've been going the whole time. The aim of it all is this. Take hold of life to the full. In verse 12, God is saying to you, fellow Christian, he's saying, I've given you eternal life, embrace it fully. 
The word here you've got in your Bible is take hold or whatever you've got in your translation. It's it's the word used for, do you remember Peter walking on water, when Jesus had walked on water? And Peter went out to meet him. And then Peter started to sink and Jesus took hold of him. It's the same word, take hold. Or do you remember Paul in Jerusalem? And the mob have thought he's brought a Gentile into the temple and they are trying to beat him up. And the soldiers, the Roman soldiers come and they take hold of Paul to rescue him. In other words, it's quite a violent word. It's an urgent word. It's a strong word. Take hold of eternal life. Or think of it this way. You get a Christmas present and you unwrap it. You take off the Christmas paper. And when the Christmas paper is off, you can see it's an electronic gadget. But you're seeing it through one of those clear plastic boxes. You know those clear plastic boxes, often hard to get into? And you're seeing it through that. And you put it on your shelf, it's yours. You own it. Belongs to you. You like the look of it. But you haven't opened it fully let alone put the batteries in, let alone enjoyed it. It's yours, but you're not taking hold of it fully. God is saying to you in verse 12, I've given you eternal life. Don't do that with it. Take hold of it. He's given you so much, make sure you're grabbing it. Eternal life is not like an insurance policy. Have you got car insurance? House insurance, maybe even life insurance, how often do you think about it? Oh, never really, do you, unless you crash your car or you have to renew it. Maybe even that you've got on automatic, which is a bad thing. That means they're ripping you off. But you don't think about it. It just goes in a file and you get on with life, get on with the things you're really interested in. Eternal life is not an insurance policy. To go in a file, and now I'm secure, now I'll get on with what I'm really interested in. It's not a belief to assent to, while looking elsewhere for your emotional needs and your enjoyment. You know, you can do that. You could be a stool that has got one leg very secure, belief. You know what you believe. And another leg's fairly secure because you're really trying to obey. But if But you can be doing both of those, but look elsewhere for your joy, elsewhere for your emotional needs to be met, and then you're a stool that's going to fall over. Because eternal life is something to be embraced. Let's think a little more about that. Eternal life, we heard from John 17, is knowing God. Are you grabbing hold of that? David in the Psalms said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Now, do you believe there is such a thing as seeking God and finding him and enjoying him? Do you believe it as a distant possibility for missionaries and Christians in prison? Or do you believe it might happen to you one day? Or do you believe it as something that can happen actually when you pick your Bible up to read it and you pray to seek God? It can happen to you then. And so you pray boldly, God, meet with me. Not just, God, please teach me something, or God, please help me understand. That's good. No, God, meet with me. Speak to me. Make yourself known to me. How he does might be quite 
different from what you expect. But do you ask him to? And because you believe that he could do, now you give it time. Now this isn't me setting a rule. You must read the Bible and pray for an hour every day. No. No such rule. But if you're going to grab hold of knowing God, that doesn't happen by squeezing it in. Let's just squeeze it in here so that then I can quickly, oh good, I've done my duty, I've done my bit, now I can get on with what I want to. That's not embracing life. That's, I'll give God a bit so I can embrace what I really want to. Remember we're told, grab hold. And eternal life means knowing God. It needs some grabbing. What else does eternal life mean? Eternal life is a life of holiness. It's a life of power to fight sin. Are you grabbing hold of that? When you could click on that website that's going to lead you to sin, when you could let your mind chew on that thought of bitterness or that thought of how you promote yourself, will you grab hold of that? That will give you a pale imitation of life that will soon sicken. No, remind yourself, I'm to grab hold of eternal life. That's what I'll grab instead. Because you can't do both. You can't grab both. When we as a family have been away and I'm unpacking the car, I try to get it done quickly. And I've often had this experience of, go to the boot, and I grab as much as I can, and I embrace as much of the stuff in the boot as I can, and then I try to quickly get it into the, into the front door and drop half of it in the process. And it would have been quicker to be less hasty. There's a limit to how much you can embrace. There's a limit to how much you can grab at one time. You can't grab eternal life while you're grabbing sin. It will not work. Sometimes you also have to let go of things that are not sin. Do you know that? Well, you do if you know Hebrews 12. You know the verse about running the race and throwing off sins and the things that entangle. There are some things that are not sins, but if you're grabbing them, you're going to have difficulty grabbing eternal life. Uh, Just before Christmas, we as a church were promoting a book by Jeremy Marshall about his struggles with cancer. Um, By the way, Jeremy Marshall on New Year's Day at the Watford versus Wolves Premier League match was uh, allowed to speak at half-time to the whole stadium about God helping him in his cancer. What an an opportunity. Speak there to 20,000 people and tell them the gospel. I noticed that Jeremy seems to be spiritually healthier than at any other time in his life. Now... And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's happening now his cancer has moved him out of his job and made him unable to do his job. Because he himself says, this isn't me making an accusation, he himself says that in the previous years he had got taken up with chasing money and getting the best, most glittering career he could in the city. And I think it's no coincidence that now that's been brought forcibly to an end. He's spiritually healthier. Because there's a limit to how much you can embrace. If you're going to embrace eternal life, there may be some career plans. And there may be some ambitions. And there may be some achievements. And there may be some leisure activities that you have to let go of. Because you're a finite human. And there's a limit to how much you can embrace. I remember seeing a baby's t-shirt 
It was from some campaign to get parents to talk to their babies more. And the baby's T-shirt said, switch off the TV and talk to me. Well, do you need to switch off the TV and talk to God? This isn't me setting some rule, no TV, Christians don't watch TV. No, no. But maybe for you it's taking up too much time. Maybe it's something else that's taking up too much time. So embracing knowing God gets squeezed into just the spare time, just round the edges. Embrace life. In fact, to embrace life, you need to embrace death. What on earth am I talking about? Talking in riddles to embrace life, you need to embrace death. Well, didn't Jesus say the way to save your life is to lose it? James Fraser, you're going to get fed up because I've been bringing James Fraser into every sermon that I can. James Fraser was a missionary. Well, let's start earlier than him being a missionary. He was a brilliant young man. He was top of, of his course at university. He was a top student. He was a concert-level pianist. He was fit. He was strong. He was personable. There were so many glittering options open to him. And he turned from all of them to suffer the hardship of being a missionary in southwest China. He was lonely. He was repeatedly ill. He faced strange attacks in villages where the people worshipped demons. And eventually, eventually, because it took time... God's spirit worked in power and thousands turned to Christ. And James Fraser delighted in fellowship with God along with new, vibrant, zealous Christians. And then he came back to England. And on his first visit back, a a relative said to him in a despising tone, look at all that you've thrown away to achieve precisely nothing. That's what the relative thought. He said those words, to achieve precisely nothing. Well, which is the life worth grabbing? What his relative thought he should embrace, or what James Fraser thought was worth embracing? Which is precisely nothing, what James Fraser achieved, or what he threw away in the light of eternity, which is precisely nothing? Well, that's remote, southwest China in the early 20th century, but remember that in the little acts that come your way of dying to self to embrace life, Christ-like serving life. It'll be in something little tomorrow probably, at work or at home, where it's just a little embracing death to embrace life. The person writing to Timothy here, who's the person writing to Timothy? Oh, you know that, don't you? It's the Apostle Paul. And he knew that embracing life meant embracing death. He'd had to die to his old ambitions and to his old friends and to his old comfortable life. He'd had to die to all of that. But he said, I count them precisely nothing. Do you know that in Philippians? He said, I count them precisely nothing. In fact, he said, I count them rubbish. That's the polite, inaccurate translation. Uh, He used actually a rude word for stuff down the toilet. He said, I count them... I'm not going to say it because it's rude, but I think you can all guess it. Compared with... 
Well, here's the heart of eternal life compared with what? What's the heart of eternal life? What did Paul say? I count them, bleep, compared with knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's the heart of eternal life. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's in very nature God. He keeps the universe going by the word of his power. But he came right down to the manger. And he came down even further to be dressed up in fancy clothes by mocking soldiers. And he came down under their fists and under their spit. And then he came down right away to death on a cross. He loved me. And he gave himself for me. And now he's on the throne next to God the Father. He's the King of Kings and he's still loving me. And it's possible for me, me and you, to be embraced by him and to know him and to enjoy him and to go to be with him. Well, everything else, get out of the way. Everything else, get out of the way compared with embracing him. Let's grab that. Let's embrace. Oh, that I could embrace him. That ultimately is what 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 means. Will you do it? Verse 12. Take hold of, grab it, embrace it with violence, with urgency. The eternal life to which you were called when you made your good profession in the presence of many witnesses.